Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Trip to Fan Late in CU podcast. Post Thanksgiving for Tuesday, December 3rd, 2019. That's Ian Ferguson. Stuffing filled Ian Ferguson. I'm uh, Sweet Potato Pie, Pat Country. On the podcast, we'll be talking about Toys R Us making a return, Lincoln Mario Maker 2, and Atari VCS update. We're all excited for that. Our graded game's a horrible investment, and more, and a Q&A, and a Patreon poll. Ian, how was your Thanksgiving, real quick? It was fantastic. I uh, I made ham. I did a glaze with brown sugar. Glazed bar- ham. Glazed ham. Barrel-aged honey. That shit's good. It was honey that was aged in whiskey barrels. Super tasty. You tell me you're doing that. Yep, I did. So I did that. I told you everything that I was doing. No, no, you didn't mention the glazed ham. I, 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 yes, I mentioned that. I, no, I, I probably no. mentioned it on the previous podcast. Gla- glazed ham is a fetish of mine. It would have stuck to me. But yeah, I did but. ham, mashed potatoes, beans, etc. But uh, Beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes. You name it! We, um, we spent, besides cooking, we spent most of the uh, holiday actually playing Sega Saturn. Um, and, uh, while Vani owns many, many good games for the Sega Saturn, uh, we played mostly movie-based games. Uh, we played Independence Day, we played Congo, we played Street Fighter, the movie, the game. Um, I will say, uh, shout out to Retrobit, uh, we were using their new controllers. Um, those worked extremely well. Saturn ones? Yeah, the Saturn ones. They were really good controllers. We had broken them out just like uh, I think we had used them once before. So we put them through the paces. Right. Congo's interesting. It's a first-person shooter. Uh, it has very, very poor depth of field. <laughs> so uh, luckily it has a, an onboard map because most of the time when you're playing the game, you're just looking at the map and making sure you're moving through the uh, the trees the proper way. Nice. But yeah, that's, that's what we did. It was uh, fantastic. I normally don't eat that many carbs uh, in a week. Uh, or two weeks, as I did in a day. So my body, like, rioted after that meal. All right, Dr. Atkins. It was okay. crazy. I, uh, it made me feel very, very slow for about three hours. I think that's what Thanksgiving does mostly to what, people. What, the mashed, mashed potatoes and everything? Yeah, I went all out Stuffing. on the mashed potatoes. Cream, butter, sour cream, cream cheese. Okay, that's not just carbs. That's just, like, let's load this up to be the worst thing. They were delicious, though. Of course. They were delicious. But, I mean, it's, like, it's not, that's like hey, the... I've been watching what I eat for, like, three months you, you now. I was trimmer. like, I've lost trimmer. 21 pounds. You're hitting the gym, aren't you? Yes. You don't ever go with me. I invite you to the gym. You don't want to go with me. You should try yoga. You know, build up the yoga booty. It's, it's good. It's, it's... When Vani's at yoga on Mondays, when you're there, I'm. that's when I'm recording the Extra Napkins podcast. Uh, what was your excuse the other five years? <laughs> not to go to yoga, I don't know, but I have one now. <laughs> I, like, I, like, I like the. Yeah, I have an excuse now. The last two months, but not before. So there, Pat. That's <laughs> my Thanksgiving was. Um, uh, my Thanksgiving was was okay. I spent it 
with uh, believe it or not, my handyman invited me. Um, and uh, it was nice. The average age of everyone was like seventy nine. I'm not even joking. How right? old's your handyman? He's only sixty, but oh, okay. you know his his his, his, his I think his uh, his girlfriend's mom was there and, and others. So it was good to like share stories with people. Like the one old woman I helped make make the gravy, and uh, she she explained how in the seventies she was like a um, a cookbook writer. She would because tra- she said like in the seventies like there was no like South American cookbook in the U.S. So she made one. She went there. Oh, that's she, cool. She did a. She I think she like went to Turkey and so she did like a Turkish cookbook. And, you know, did, like, travel stuff. And that's interesting when you're in the 70s, you know, the publishing world. And I explained what I did. And at, at dinner, I, I really explained what I did. And then it was either either the people were so old that they're pretending to, to know what I was talking about or they just glazed over from all the information I was spewing out. Like a ham. Like a, like a glazed ham. Their, their eyes were glazed over like a ham. But they they were semi-interested. But it was it was interesting. There was, there was one woman around my age who's a local actress and I, at first I thought, Glenn, is this like a setup thing? Because she's the only person my age, and I think she's single. But I was like, no, her mom was there. So I was like, okay. It wasn't like a, a sneaky like sitcom setup situation there. But it was fun, though. And I didn't eat – I tried to eat like almost as much as I used to. I can almost do a plate and a half of stuff. And um, no, it's not – I can't do it anymore. I can't even do a second plate anymore. I forced the, – the, the turkey was so delicious I had to get a second plate of, of dark meat. Like I just had to. You know, like, and, the st- and the stuffing was good. Or dressing. It's dressing when it's inside the turkey. It's dressing. I thought it was dressing when it's outside the turkey. Oh, it's it? stuffing when it's oh, in the turkey. Sense. Hence, stuffing. Well, the stuffing was good. As I make a fisting motion. There was, there was an option for dressing or stuffing, but you always go for the stuffing. It's always, it's more, it's always more moist and good. Um, so other than that, what's going on? Lots of little things going on. Uh, new NES Punk video. We'll talk about more in detail lately. Uh, two, Later. two in a month. Wow. Check it out. It's uh avgn versus pat in combat the app is finally updated and it's a little rocky on the android side i understand that right now it has been for years that's why we had to totally update it um because it was abandoned by the developer so uh give it patience uh on the android side the ios is a lot more stable um we're working working through some bugs the problem with android if you know that is that there's a billion different phones and they all operate on different sort of platforms and they're different ios it's all one interface in one one uh you know uh, platform to deal with really technically it's not on android so uh be patient if, if you got the app and you update it uh, if, if there's huge problems you can try deleting it and reinstalling it unfortunately um since now we're putting in cloud syncing function for to backing up your your data your old data if you update unfortunately will be lost in terms of your collection but we really couldn't do anything about that because the the app was never future proofed it was never never in the past uh it, able to put on the features that it's now uh now getting so that's that was unfortunate we try to save the old data from people who said there's no way to possibly do it because it was stored locally different one there's just no way to, to pull it back uh for there so apologize to that i'm you know i can only go by my what my app developers tell me what they do i don't have full control over that but you know if you want a refund i think you can get it on android i think you can get your money back i think if it's that horrible but we're updating it uh we're updating it, so give it give it some time, please. Uh, shout out to SideQuest Games, who not only are now carrying a certain Super Nintendo guidebook, gave me a decent deal on that uh, giant Mario that Ian said, oh yeah, I had that giant so plush I, Mario. I, I still do from, the late, from 80, 88, 89, Yeah, um, I, I I'd never known where it came from. I assumed it was a bootleg. 
Oh, no, that's real. It's the same as the little guys right here. You And now thing. that I, I think about it, I think I actually found that at like a, a Goodwill or something. But uh, my friends and I always, well, specifically one friend and I always refer to that as the Where's My Keys Mario. Uh, he looks very, very huh? concerned. What? I got to get to work. And we would sit down there in, in, in the basement den room with the games and stuff. And we'd sit there and we'd trip our balls off. And the stories we would spin. I, I mean, I walked Whoa. in today and saw Where's My Keys Mario. And I just, I immediately felt for the guy. Because he's still, we're talking 20, 25 years later, still looking for his fucking keys. Look at him. Guys, this is all well and good. I'm happy to Guys, be here, but can you please tell me, where are my keys? <laughs> I need to know where my keys are. My kids it's a, yeah, need it's to like, eat. It's not my a, wife is worried. Like I a, need to get home. Like the little one has a smile on his face, right? That's not a smile. That's like a concern like, That's let's a, go. Let's go. Holy shit. I've been looking for this set of keys Guys. for 20 plus years. Where are they? It's almost like he's trying to like uh, manage a party and everything's going wrong. That's yeah. the way I look at him. Yeah. It's so, like, what happened to the nachos? I had the plate right there. Where are they? Good to Someone see you here. Someone took the nachos. I'm glad that you're not uh, still trying to find them in my parents' basement. Where is Bob? Bob was supposed to bring the ice. Maybe. Where is Bob? Maybe your keys are here. <laughs> so that's very neat. So, but now I gotta get to Luigi. So that Luigi be like, "Where's my wallet, Luigi?" That's what I to put the two together on that. But uh, so, <laughs> fucking this guy's gonna be looking for his keys all uh, episode. Always in the podcast and staring at Ian like Ian knows where they are. <laughs> well, we have Ian, history. You just had him in your hand. You went out to the car to get your coat. How did you lose the keys? It was a minute, Ian. WMK Mario and I have history. Um. Uh, not for resale, a video game store documentary. We are in the final throes of getting it uh, on the Blu-ray for Indiegogo backers. Uh, most people listening probably aren't an Indiegogo backer, but also to get it up on Amazon um, for video on demand to purchase or to rent, hopefully in December. And so that's going to be... Uh, you still have to see it. I still got to send you the Dropbox link. I owe you that and also Alex uh, to watch that. And then it's going to be good. We're just uh, there's a couple little glitchy things we have to just sort of uh, smooth out a couple audio things and it'll be it'll be good. I'm finally excuse me happy to get it out there. Yeah, a little glaze ham rumbling. We were um, asked numerous times on uh, the podcast during uh, searching for topics this week about uh, Black Friday. Um, I figured we could talk, touch on that real quick. Uh, basically, the the idea that Black Friday is diminishing or it's over or it's no longer a thing. Um, and I agree. I agree wholeheartedly on that. I don't. You don't go out and do any Black Friday shopping. I haven't done Black Friday in like 12, 13 years at least. At I don't least. think I ever have. But uh, I used to hear the stories of like the Best Buy near me in New Jersey. It was like people would get there at like literally 1 a.m. Yeah. Thursday. People would Friday, camp out Friday overnight. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I think the peak of it was probably... So I, I first I'll say Late yes. 2000s? It, it's it's definitely yeah. dropping. I would say the peak of it was probably 2010, 2011, Late somewhere 2000, in there. Like um, I know when I first started uh, dating Doorbusters. When I first started dating Vani, um, she would have to leave, you know, the Thanksgiving whatever celebration we were doing if she was, you know, eating with me. She'd have to leave at like eight to go and get ready to like have things ready for the store, you know, because it's opening at ten or it's opening at midnight or something crazy like that. You know, people with actual, like, tents and, you know, heaters and shit like that, you know, waiting in line. Um, And we would do no business. Uh, Luna would do nothing um, because everyone would be at the big box stores. 
uh, as time has gone on, I, I, I think, especially in the past, like it, it's, it's been very quick. I would say in the past, like three, four, five years, um, it, it's, it's severely dropped and now it, it's basically nothing. I don't think, uh, comics and stuff, Vani's business does anything particularly special. The malls don't uh, seem to open as early as they used to. Um, I know the malls used to open at like midnight, I think some of them for black Friday. Jesus Christ. And uh, now, you know, Vani went to work at a, you know, uh, she was working a mall store on black Friday this year and it opened normal time. I think maybe a little bit earlier, like seven or eight. Um, so it was earlier, but it's not as bad as it used to be. And I think the surest sign that Black Friday is changing from what it used to be is uh, Luna. We've actually been doing business. We've seen business increase over the past five years. Uh, I think less, less people are going to the big box stores. I think a lot of people still try to do holiday shopping. Um, but there's less of a focus on on you know waiting in line and getting you know like you said the doorbuster deal it, and cyber monday and online shopping i think have everything to do with that cyber monday here's an article that i just saw this isn't this is going to be a main topic but i think it's important nine billion nine let's say 9.4 billion it did yesterday yeah in the u.s 9.4 billion dollars in online sales as online shopping that doesn't, count, that doesn't count the weekend there's always stuff going on throughout the weekend too as online shopping Twitter. becomes more of the norm, and as people are more and more com- get more and more comfortable with it, there's, I mean, there's no reason for anyone to ruin their holiday, go out early in the morning. Uh, most places in the U.S., a lot of places in the U.S., in the freezing cold, and stand in line for a TV that you can get for and the same price on Monday, sitting in your pajamas, in drinking line, tea. Rush through against the the hordes of people that will fucking elbow you in the face yeah. to save twenty bucks on a toaster. That's what you're doing. Have you seen those videos? Yes. Literally door busting deals. People run through and trample each other to get money off. Now uh, people have been I, killed. People have been. I killed understand. I I am I am of two minds. I understand that there's a lot of people that are less fortunate that this is their one time to buy presents oh, yeah. to save money. I get that. But at this point in time, it's it's not as safe from what I've seen to do that, and it's not worth your time and effort to do that versus looking online. It definitely or your, is not. Or your livelihood. I mean, it's, yeah. a, it's not it's uh, not worth your well being because there, there's the stress, so many other options now. And it's like a it's now it's now a sport. It's like a sport. when you see people running and like diving on the piles. It's like it's 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 a mob. Yeah, and it's a, it becomes like a sport, and it's it's. It's sickening to see that happen, especially in this day and age with online sales. You can just do that and be safe and not have to worry about it and just just be yeah, be safe because it doesn't look da- it looks dangerous sometimes. It and it does. used to just be a Friday, and now you know, and and I think this is what and I think now re- it's on Thanksgiving, and now I think retailers have realized that you know it's it's not healthy for their employees, it's not healthy for them, it, it it's not good for anyone. It's less stress. Black Friday when it used to strictly be a Friday. Now it's oftentimes, well, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And also Thanksgiving if you want to go out. And Friday and Saturday and Sunday. And once you get to Sunday, well, you're rolling right into Cyber Monday. And I'm a, like, I just got paid today. I'm going to take advantage of a Cyber Monday sale when I get home that's gone into Tuesday. So, oh, yeah. There was so, a Disney Plus one. So these sales right. just keep bleeding and getting longer. I'm going to go home and go shopping for music tracks on Beatport because the the cyber weekend sale doesn't end until tonight at midnight. So there's, so there's yeah, there's, there's really, it's not as, it's not as imperative that you get it right then and there as it used to be. You but have some time. But there's a lot to say you have to do the deal only on Monday. I get that. It's an imperative to, sure. to buy it. I totally get that. Yeah. There was an, even Disney plus one. It was like 50 bucks for the whole, excuse me, 60 bucks 
or five a month for Disney Plus. I still don't think Disney Plus is worth it because I don't want to see The Mandalorian. That's the only show I want to see on there. So I'm, I'm gonna yeah, I don't think it's it. worth it yet either. I just I'll don't have that. Months. I don't have that kind of interest in. Um, I don't have that kind of interest in in Disney properties uh, as a whole. I don't rewatch Marvel movies. And I do a little bit, but not. There's only, there's only like four that are rewatchable to me. I can four. wait on the Mandalorian. Yeah, wait on Baby Yoda. It's interesting how he doesn't I, have a voice, does he? Mandalorian? No, Baby Yoda. I don't. I don't think so. I just think that it's funny ruin. that here I am thinking. Um, I guess in my naivety, here's going to be like a you know like a like a sort of grim, darker Mandalorian. You know, it's a grim, darker Star Wars, and we got to throw in a, a cute baby plush Yoda uh, there. Uh, well, yeah, it's uh, a not Yoda. I know it's uh, yes, it, yes, actually, man, I know it's not Yoda, and, and, but we don't know the name of the species that Yoda is. And uh, uh, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think he's actually that young. He's fifty. Oh, okay, that's young for yeah, whatever. Again, whatever species that is, there's only been Yoda. And then the one female-looking Yoda in Phantom Menace that you never saw again. Uh, what the hell did they do to Yoda in Phantom Menace? That puppet was awful. Uh, it looked nothing like the, the puppet from the original trilogy. Anyway, that's why they changed it to CG um, later on. Um, all I remember for Black Friday as a kid, it wasn't. It was just Midnight Madness sales. Remember Midnight Madness? Yeah. And it wasn't always after Thanksgiving. Sometimes I think there were like random days in December. But I remember my father, my uncle. Going out and, and for midnight madness sales at like Tops. Remember Tops? Uh, those those were stores. Tops in Buffalo is a supermarket. So I don't. okay. So Tops was electronic stores, uh, semi regional in New York, New Jersey. Could have been the first time I saw an NES setup. Sometime in 1986 was at Tops. I'm wondering what the hell is that. Um, but they they had midnight madness sales, and they would do like you know get a. Get like a twelve-inch color TV for like a hundred dollars, and that was an insane deal. That was like a two hundred and fifty-dollar thing, probably like an eighty-five, eighty-six, eighty. You know what I mean? Like that was a great deal. So you go out to there, and they probably have like only five or ten of them to get you through the door. So stuff like that, my dad would try to get. You know, things like that. Those are the kind of, kind of deals. So twelve-inch TVs, whatever. Sixteen-inch, the smaller, even the smaller ones, they were still expensive when we were kids, right? Um, and that was it. it. But it wasn't go go on Thanksgiving to shop. That was it was never that was never a thing. It was like well, okay, stores open at seven a.m. at J.C. Penney on Friday. You know that, that's basically what what it used to be. But I don't remember my parents dragging me around for a lot of that stuff. I don't remember that specifically. Maybe Sears. I'm not sure. All right. Uh, so Ian, this, we've got a YouTube topic. Uh, YouTube uh, is is lightening restrictions on on video game content, and we're still in the intro. We're going to talk about this briefly. So. A policy update aims to better reflect the difference between real world and simulated violence. So there was a change that happened uh, a while back where they would start to age gate videos and restrict ads if you were showing like, you know, you know, playing Doom right, or Call of Duty or things like that. Um, and it was basically being treated like it was real life violence. And that, of course, hurt people that were, you know, gaming YouTubers. And people that there's some people that focus mainly on one game like Call of Duty, and it could hurt them. So fortunately, uh, YouTube gaming has lightened its restrictions. Uh, so now, future gaming uploads that include scripted or simulated violence may be approved instead of being age restricted. There will be fewer restrictions for violence in gaming, but this policy will still maintain our high bar to protect audiences from real world violence. We may still age restrict content if violent or gory imagery is the sole focus of the video. For instance, if the, if the video focuses entirely on the most graphically violent part of the video game. So if it's a uh, you know a video that's all the fatalities from Mortal yes, Kombat. Yes, or... Goriest kills in game, you know. So when you know it's 
it's you're you're driven there by the violent content versus the gameplay. Because I mean, violence is a part of first person shooters, but that's not like the main draw. I would say to to those videos. It's you know it's it's sure. a video game. So uh, it's good. This doesn't really affect me. I've never had a a video age gated. Because of of violence in a game, only because maybe I've gotten spanked by someone in a video. That's the only time something may have been community age gated. So it's just good though that you know uh, YouTube is finally catching up. They're always like a year and a half behind uh, making these moves. I don't know why they move so slowly. I don't know how the corporate structure acts or if they care. It's a very strange company uh, when you see these things happen. Not to get in front of these things uh, more sooner or even just to catch up. Uh, there. So, any, any thoughts on it, Ian? Uh, you know, it's it's good because to me, video game violence is more like PG thirteen ish. It's not like R. Well, I mean, it, it it depends on the game, obviously, but I'm just happy to see that it's going to be treated more like everything yeah. else. Because if kids can kids can go and play these games easily that are thirteen, fourteen, why can't they watch the video content on it? Like, right. Exactly. If there's I mean, violence in a T, you know, a T rated shooter, then it should be accessible to the same people that it's sold to. There should be some uniformity across the board. Sure. Um, and then uh, you want to talk about the uh, the right games? Uh, yeah, I think being it's settled? important to because we did uh, talk about this in November. Oh yeah, we? we've talked about it a couple times. It's important to bring this up. Um, we talked about it when the story first broke. We talked about the update, and I think um, we should at least mention this. Uh, Riot settles its lawsuit. It's going to pay every female employee since 2014 out of a $10 million fund based depending on uh, position and length of time uh, employed. Um, so basically, uh, the payout was uh, reading from the Kotaku article. I believe this was updated by Cecilia Dan Stasio, who did the first, uh, the original article. Um, Riot Games will pay out a huge $10 million proposed settlement collectively to every woman who has been employed by the company at any time over the last five years. The settlement is one of the largest in California history for a gender discrimination suit, says the plaintiff's lawyer. Um, so uh, basically there was a huge expose about how uh, women at Riot were uh, disadvantaged. They were receiving less pay for the same... Um, positions between, uh, you know, male and female workers. Um, so um, this will uh, was also promotion things. I thought too. People, yeah, and promotion. People being promoted yes. above them that they thought weren't as, as qualified or correct. Yeah, that was the thing. So it's good to see this. Um, people, some people who have worked there have said that uh, Riot has definitely made um, strides to fix their wrongs. Um, other people say that it feels a little bit hollow because a lot of the people who caused the problems in the first place are still working there and uh, received, you know, uh, apparently no repercussions. Um, however, I do think it's good that uh, the people who were paid unfairly are going to receive, um, you know, the money that they deserved. Was it so was it's it, a step in the right direction? Was it pay discrimination or just the, I thought it was the hiring more the hiring and promotion hiring, which, which, also, which goes down to pay as well. It also clearly says pay discrimination here as well. Okay. Um, and the money will be yeah, determined by their tenure length and status. Okay. I don't see that in the article, Ian, but okay, I'll trust you on it. Um, anyway, so um, I think it's interesting this stuff still happens just because of, of the potential of lawsuits and just the fact that it hurts your company not hiring and promoting the best people for positions. Maybe I'm being naive in saying that. 
and you know my egalitarian mindset, but there's no way you run a company and want to be successful not hiring and promoting the best people regardless of who they are. I just think that's insane that that happens where you'd rather have uh, you know, a potential bro culture versus making sure someone, com- the most competent person is in a position. To, I just think it's so silly. By the way, it's right here at the end of the second paragraph. Second paragraph? Also describes how women at the League of Legends publisher were paid less than men in the same or a similar position. Okay. Sure. Okay. Uh, that's interesting how, how that could even happen at a corporation where uh, w- corporations, when they put out, you know, we're hiring, it's usually a range you know, it says straight up, we pay between this and this for the position based upon experience and that. I just, I just, it's just so we. I don't know. I, I, I guess my the corporate culture I was in, I guess, was more stringent on this stuff, where it was by the book. We this is how we do business, and I guess with it's a video game company, they think it's oh we're loose. We're you know what I mean? Well, that's that, my that that's exactly know, my guess. Uh, a video game company is likely not going to be run the same as whatever it was you were doing. That was not a video game company. Market research. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I just think it's strange that this can happen, but they get this is where they get bitten. They think well, they got to pay up, but unfortunately, you know, the women for these positions they move on, so the company loses the talent, and people get a. a a sour taste in their mouths, not a sore, sore mouth. Not a sour, sore mouth. Get a sour taste, and it's just you can't, you cannot run a company like this. You have to run a company uh, cold and objective, and not favor uh, a certain gender to, to, to promote positions because you want a certain, you know, bro culture. I mean, I just don't. Uh, whatever. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm naive when it comes to stuff, but I just think it's strange that this stuff can still happen like this. Uh, like I said, it's a video game company. It's made they think they're they're not they're immune to that, or I don't know. Anyway, so that's all. So that's that's good and and good reporting from Cecilia, of course, uh, who was on top of this for a while. She got it. She got a. She got an award. Did she get a journalism award? I saw. She should have. I yeah, because she's know been she doing. Did. She's been doing good work. Uh, there. All right, we're gonna move into the main podcast talk. I don't know what the point is between separating intro and stuff like this when like some of those segments are as long as. <laughs> I only talked about that for like two three minutes. People like to have in the long intro, you Sure. Well, I don't know if I can talk about this for much longer, but Link is now in Mario Maker 2. Um, which is, Out of nowhere! Which is a pretty cool addition. So, um, Mario Maker 2 is getting its 2.0 update this week. Uh, they're adding some additional enemies, um, some new block types, but uh, one of the big things is they're adding a Master Sword power-up that will turn uh, <laughs> Mario into Link. And so, in... In the original Super Mario Good Maker, lot. you could um, there was a mystery block that you could place, and the mystery block would, uh, when you hit it, it would give you uh, various um, various costumes based on what amiibos you had scanned in. Oh, to nice. your So basically, ev- almost every amiibo had a costume, so you could turn. Really? Yeah, almost every amiibo. I had didn't a know costume. that. It was like, a Pac-Man costume. Yep, uh, almost all of the original. Amiibos did. I think all of like all the Smash Brothers ones did. So you could scan. Yeah. So you would you'd be able to run around as all these different characters. Little you Mac, could, Mario, uh, Mega Man, Little Mac. All How of them. I never seen that. So it didn't give you any particular special powers. It would basically act as a. It would act as a super mushroom. Um, so you would get an additional hit. But they looked very neat, and uh, the difference. So that. Uh, for whatever reason, that capability was not carried over to Super Mario Maker 2, even though um, the Switch can handle, can scan amiibos that 
for whatever reason that wasn't put in. Maybe it was licensing concerns. Who knows? Um, for some of the third party ones, this link on the other hand, uh, the cool thing about it, uh, he does get special powers and capabilities. He'll be able to attack with his sword. Oh, it's Link. Yeah, he'll be able to attack <laughs> with his sword. Well, you could play as Link in the original. That's what I'm saying. In Super Mario Maker, oh, it's not just a costume. It changes the sprite. It changed. Well. That would be a costume. Yes, it changes. It's not a costume. You change the sprite entirely. And they call, they called them different costumes. Okay. So it changes. It changes the sprite entirely. Okay. Um, but they would act like Mario. In this, Link will be able to attack with his sword. Um, he'll be able to do dash attacks. He'll be able to uh, block, throw bombs, um, and shoot arrows in three directions uh, to collect <laughs> items. So not only is it cool to see uh, just from it, it's going to add so much more to um, Mario Maker in terms of how people there's going to be well, a, a whole new reason for people to create very different sorts of levels it creates an entirely different game yes the fact that you can attack with the sword and do things you can create new obstacles and puzzles and the speed running becomes different than just avoidance you now have to attack everyone and you're you know, probably forced to do that you know what I mean like so that's they can, well people can design levels like that so it'll only yeah. be it'll only be usable in the Super Mario Brothers skin. Um, I'm assuming one reason is it, it well, the the, the, sprite. the sprite is yeah. the the original, and also um, it doesn't have any of the other um, mechanics that were added later. Sure. On. So it keeps things simpler. Yeah, just run, jump, and, and you know, right. Have a sword. I think it's brilliant that they did this. So it's cool. Um, this is so. This is the second time they've really it's messed, adorable messed with uh, you know Link in um, shareable content. Uh, the first was um, Link's Awakening, uh, released on the Switch. The, the Game Boy game released on the Switch uh, a few months back. Um, that had a. Uh, a very rudimentary dungeon creator that you could use and you could share levels between friends. Um, this allows people even more ways to screw with Link. And as Pat and I have talked about before, this is maybe about as far as it's going to go with uh, any sort of Zelda maker. But it's obvious they want to see how people take to um, creating things with Link around it. I think it would be hard to create, uh, make a Zelda maker that let you obviously do a full... Um, full game or a full, full game overworld. Um, I mean, honestly, these Mar the Mario Maker doesn't let you do it either. You can do levels, but as far as I know, unless it's being added in update here, you still can't string together worlds and make levels and make your own world. I thought you can do that. No, which would be maybe maybe they've added it or changed it, but you haven't been able to do that. You've been able to play what's known as um, like the. Uh, like the easy, medium, and hard modes where it will pick, it'll give you like a basic map and it will just randomly pick levels for you, but you can't structure your own world layout, which would make a lot of sense. Um, I think the only thing they could really do with a Zelda maker would be a dungeon maker uh, with a... Okay, there's an unofficial way you can make a world. Okay, it's unofficial. Okay, yeah, so there's no official way to do tool. it. Okay, you can string courses together through an online tool. Okay, it's unofficial. Um... Yeah, I, I think this is cute. I think it's um, we, we I think we did we ever talk about that that uh, that homebrew game that you can be like Mega Man or you could be uh, Simon Belmont and just play through the original Super Mario. It was a ROM hack. Yeah, basically. I remember that. The so thing was cool. People have always clamored for. There's something about the the original 
uh, Super Mario Brothers uh, Mushroom Kingdom that people just love the aesthetic and the fact that it's so simple and kitschy and putting other characters in it, I think is just, I don't know, it, 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 it's, it's a nice creation uh, outlet uh, for people. And, and Link, the way he looks and the way he moves fits into it, I guess. You can say even in a 2D way. You can say he fits. He looks like Mar- like he's a squat little guy like Mario, the original Link uh, sprite. So it, it fits more so than than Mega Man to me or anything else. I say I think Mega Man would be a perfect fit. He, the original scale, Mega Man though, is squat is is hell too. But the scale is not the same to me. But anyway, either way, I'm gl- glad glad they 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 did this, and this actually makes me interested in playing this because I I love I love the original uh, Legend of Zelda here. So no, this is going to be very interesting seeing people how how people come up with. Uh, different ideas of, of putting him in here because uh, there's a lot more, you know, the fact that you can throw bombs and, and use the arrows to solve problems, that's that's interesting to me. It'll be a different type. It won't be, speedrunning will, will be different. You can still be able to speedrun, but it'll be different. Definitely, obviously, versus Mario. So that's happy. But yeah, a, a regular Legend of Zelda maker, I spoke with Ian on the phone, it's kind of tough just because uh, the, uh, people like seeing other people go through these courses and get through them or fail and with a Legend of Zelda, it's much more open than a linear co- course versus going through a dungeon, which a dungeon is is more random. Item drops are, are randomized, and how enemies move and the patterns. It's slower than running through a course. So that's why they could do a Legend of Zelda maker. I just don't see it being viable or, or interesting to most people. I think a dungeon like maker would be interesting to a lot of people. I just don't I, know if they'll actually do it. I don't know because there's just less less community. Uh, it's it's not easy and quick to get through that you can share. Sure, there's some, there is something yeah. to be said about yes, just try the course very quick. Yeah, it's just not the same thing. But all right, well that's that's interesting. Ian, we got seven minutes out of that. Is that long enough for you for a topic? It is. I'm just saying. I mean, it's it's. It, I, okay. we, we talked about Black Friday just as long. Why is it? But that's not. I, you don't know SEO and YouTube. Ian. That wouldn't. That would get like two. Okay, views. I'm just saying. It's. I mean, pre <laughs> pre. It, 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 it's whatever. It, it's a, it's a topic. Um, yes, we put different topics in the intro. That's what we've been doing for the past year. I know. I'm just saying. Usually, it's because they're short ones. That one was a longer one. I'm just saying it, the, the the differentiation between intro and okay, now the regular podcast starts is silly. This is not an attack at you. This I don't is, know what you're is, attacking the podcast structure. I feel attacked. I, I just think it's 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 arbitrary. Yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, at the end of this segment, it's going to be arbitrary. We cut it right about here. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Uh, we're talking about the Atari VCS again. Uh, the Atari Are VCS. We? Uh, there's there's some there's some news here. Um, so the first thing to mention about the Atari VCS is it has been delayed for Indiegogo backers. Um, does not look like it's going to be by months. Uh, they're saying weeks. Um, CEO, uh, what's his name? Michael Artst. Artst uh, says that basically, uh, you know, they're talking about weeks, not months. Uh, and that hopefully backers oh, will have God. their units in hand in January. Um, so what this means is, yes, the VCS is coming out, and here it is. Uh, that's something that I think I've always said, was that it was definitely going to come out, um, but it's still a matter of what are we getting. So this remember, this was this ended June 2018, the Indiegogo, and it was supposed to be fulfilled. Uh, when was the original fulfillment supposed to be? Uh, March, March, uh, like late spring early summer 2019 so okay so we're like nine months behind by now and they delayed it because they said they got the new chip people called them out on that some people said it was bullshit with the new chip uh remember that that was like what april or whatever it was 
Um, so okay, so they did. Uh, they did uh, our favorite way to get out news. They did a medium article. Ian. Yes, we love the medium article. We did. love the white papers that they put out. Well, and then don't forget they said that the they got the board. Uh, the, the 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 board was ready uh, in fall after a whole summer of no update. We covered this fairly recently. Oh, we did. Yes, I can't keep track anymore. So now the board is ready, but they're using a um, AMD Ryzen uh, one thousand series SOC system on a chip. So the the fact that the board is ready, I don't know a whole lot about this, and I'm not going to pretend I do. But a system on a chip. That seems to tell me that their board is basically an off-the-shelf part, yeah, more not, or less. They're not doing it from scratch. Yeah, small operation, Atari. They're not. They're not. They're not. They're not in Sunnyvale making this right. stuff in a factory. <laughs> so the Q and A goes through a few things. Um, talks about the, uh, you know, the the ship date, the delay, uh, the reason why it was delayed uh, for the AMD Ryzen chip. Um, where do you stand today with hardware and manufacturing? Uh, the first units of the Atari VCS, they, they show pictures of the pre-production units that have rolled off the assembly line. And that's and that's the black one, not the one that Ian's going to slap his dick on. Right. right. Um, yeah. Well, I, I think it was either of them. I just don't think well, I see the, I see the nice. pic- I see the picture of the red one, the red and black one. That's so. the back of it. I think the back of most of them are like... I don't oh, know. they are? Yeah, it doesn't show the front. Oddly, oh, okay. it doesn't show the front. There, as a matter of fact, it's very careful to not show the front of any oh, of these. I wonder why. Very interesting, Ian. Um, probably because that's where they put the... Either it gets like the wood grain uh, game thing, or plastic. it gets a black one, or whatever. Sure. And that, that's it's what, the same thing. That's what magically they show, differentiates it. Well, they showed the workers it. in China slapping them together, starting to construct them. Yeah. So uh, they don't expect there to be any further delays... Um, can you share your communication plans for the next few months? I thought this this uh, response was interesting. That's a good and important question. We always want our backers, fans, and customers to know how much they matter to us, and we want them to remain informed. Yeah. We understand that all of our stakeholders would like to know where things stand every day and want immediate answers to their individual posts and messages. I respectfully ask them to please understand that as a public company, we must follow specific protocols that are in place. In addition, because we also must consider the needs and wishes of our various partners, we do not always have full control over the pace or timing of our communications. What? We aim to make periodic updates to our community with complete transparency. If there's one thing I'd want people to always know, it's that no news is good news where the Atari VCS is concerned. Wow, okay. All right, Michael. Yeah, I don't think, um, I don't think a lack of communication... Did they just bring Michael on recently? Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. Did the French guys just, just hire him recently? I don't know. Because if Michael was paying attention, the no news is good news... That's not good when it's a project that people don't know what the hell's going on and you haven't done squat before ever. Yeah, keeping people in the dark is that's not... An that's an awful thing to say. Yeah, that's a horrible take. Um, um, and it makes things seem very questionable, especially when uh, like updates I, were promised at some point over the summer and there was nothing, and then they come back and they're like, the board's ready. We have I, a new board. Uh, what's this, but what's this about where you are a public company? Two guys own this thing, I thought. What do you mean it's a public company? They're not, they're not, a, not a NASDAQ? No, I'm pretty sure they are. Are they on NASDAQ yes. now? Oh, that's how they got their money. That's right. They're a public company. They that's have how them. they raise their money. That's yes. right. Yes. Well, here's the point. Even if you're a public company, it doesn't mean you, you're, if you're... A public company has to communicate more openly to, to shareholders and to, and to people in order to make sure that things are going smoothly. Sure. So that doesn't make any sense. Um. They talk about how there's been, you know, basically vigorous debate in social media about the entire VCS. Basically, people calling it a, you know, what is this? This is a penny stock either way. Yeah, but they Sorry. are public. Um, 
There's been vigorous debate in social media about the Atari VCS. What do you make of it? Michael asked, the Atari brand generates a lot of passion. I don't know that it actually does anymore. I think the bigger concern and why people are, make, are debating is, who is this for? What is it going to do? What are people going to be able to do with this? Um, they uh, There's a question about, will it have original games, native apps, or a browser experience? He goes on to say, yes, they will. But then a question is asked again. One recent report claims that there will be no native apps at launch and that all services such as Netflix will be accessible through a Chrome-style browser. This is important. The answer is important here. As I already mentioned, the primary way to access games and services will be through the proprietary Atari VCS interface and App Store. For example, if a service such as Netflix is not available... That doesn't make any sense. So he says that the primary way to do it is through the interface and App Store. However, for example, if a service such as Netflix is not available as an app on our platform at launch, it can still be accessed through the web browser in the sandbox mode really allows unlimited possibility to reach anything on the web. We don't expect the pre-launch version shipping to our Indiegogo backers to have a full complement of native third-party apps. I'm reading that is wow. I'm reading that is no native third-party apps. Okay. Because he's not giving examples of any that will be shipping with it. There will be games to play and things to do. Okay, good. But the first big wave of apps isn't likely to come before quarter one of next year as we build towards our full retail launch and see a ramp-up of the installed base. Much of this is obviously dependent on the app development timelines and contributions of any developers looking to make their apps available on the Atari VCS. Isn't that something you probably should have freaking coordinated for the release of the system? I mean, you would think that that's something that would have been, I don't know, a very key part of the release. Saying, oh, it just depends on when they're done. Other companies that do this coordinate with their developers to make sure that there are launch apps, that there mm-hmm. are things available at launch, that there are launch games, that things are ready to go. Well, they obviously, and, yeah. I mean, it's not, you don't okay. have to read between any lines here. This is very much a, we have no idea what's going to be on this system at launch. I have a feeling that the Indiegogo backers are going to get so, it and there's not going to be anything. So Atari as a public company, this version of it happens September 2017. According to what I'm looking at, I can't find it before that. So so when they took it over, I guess the, 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 the it's Atari SA. SA is a French designation, I believe, for for a company. And so they went live late 2017 in preparation of this, probably, most likely. So, and they got, and that's where the money came from, I think, initially. And, and it went, at, according to this, it was a 43 cent stock. Now it's a it's a 36 cent stock. So it's not worth anything. Um, uh, it, I mean, it, it, I don't know where their money's coming from, just from this, this original stock offering. Oh, Indiegogo? Or whatever yeah, it was. I mean, I'm looking at I'm looking at the financials here. I mean, they got plenty of money through that. So Atari's the last thing he says uh, in regards to the apps. Atari's goal is to have the content providers that our community values the most uh, be accessible via apps, and the team expects the volume of content available will grow over time as more Atari VCS units sell into the market, and we expand our gaming and entertainment partnerships. Articles that suggest otherwise are inaccurate. So. We're going to sell a bunch of these, and we're just going to... Because we're going to sell a bunch of these, people are going to want to make stuff for it, is their answer. Uh, Well, It's never worked uh, that way before. People buy something because of what's available on it. People don't buy something because they love Atari and then wait to see what apps come of it afterwards. That's a horrible business decision. But that's how their Indiegogo video was pitched. I mean, their Indiegogo video 
was pitched as, oh, I love Atari. Oh, I get it. But I that's not how that's it's not going how it to work in real life. Not 40 years later. The people who no. love Atari, who bought this because they adore Atari, and I'm sure that there are some of them, are going to get it, hook it up, see nothing, and they're going to put it away. They're not going to keep it hooked up and be like, I can't wait until six months from now when all these people see the potential of the Atari VCS and start making apps for it. That, that's, that's absurd. Why can't I find when the stock came into existence? I, I think it might have been earlier 2017. I can't find it on here. Either way, this is bad news. But good news, Ian. You can pre-order at GameStop. Yes, and pa- Walmart. Power to the player. You can get the Atari VCS 800 Onyx All-in System Bundle. Order it right now, Ian. Release date March 31st. $380. And please make sure you do that because if you don't buy it, you won't show other developers that there's a market for Atari VCS yeah. and we won't make there won't be anything for it. $380. They're telling you in this interview, I mean, this interview is saying, buy our product, trust us, there's going to be stuff later on. The, the details page, the Atari VCS 800 Onyx all-one bundle, blah, 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 includes the base as well as a classic joystick and modern controller. It comes with 8 gig of RAM. That's it. That is fully upgradable. And users will experience an ever-expanding Atari world of new games, classic and remastered favorites, streaming multimedia and personal apps, or can easily or can easily make their own. Do you imagine if Nintendo said, pre-order the Switch, you can make your own stuff on it? Right. How would that go over? <laughs> right. And, and so $380 for um, what they're offering, that media is essentially box. going it's to be... a media be- box. And they, they, I mean, they keep pushing the sandbox box. mode. Right. It's going to be a Linux hobbyist computer. Well, my question then is, I was looking at the AMD Ryzen chip that they're using, the okay. uh, the SOC. Um, and like I said, I don't know a lot about them, but I know that those are used by hobbyists to make hobby computers, Linux computers. And that chip is 150 bucks. I think, was what I saw it for. Then you buy your own RAM. Go find your own RAM. You can get it for... You're, you're paying a lot for something that you can do for what appears to be about 200 bucks, probably. You're paying for a 380 for a fancy shell. Use controllers that you already I, I, have. Yeah, and, and a $50 one-button joystick and a controller that's off the shelf that, that, that they, they just re, rebranded. With like they say that they've made a, 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 that they've made modifications to the controller, but either way, it's still a basic controller. You have a controller that you can use at home. If this is something that is appealing to you for the hobbyist aspects of it, you already have half the stuff you need. Go buy an AMD Ryzen 1000 series SoC. Build your own. So it's it's coming, but I I mean it's going to launch and. It's. I think. I mean, looking at this, especially the attitude towards uh, people will see the enthusiasm for the Atari VCS, and then they'll want. They'll have to make products for it. No, that's not how it works. This is going to hit with a wet thud. Okay, I'm trying to find this the stock historical data. I'm having trouble. It is cute that on the um, the, the 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 name of the Atari SA stock is Pong F or like Pong France. I think that's cute at least. But I'm trying to find when, like, where the stock has been historically, just for, just for shits and giggles, I'm trying to see how far back it goes. Um, I only see it going back 2017, but somewhere else I said 2015. It hasn't been around for a huge amount of time, though, uh, according to this. So, um, so anyway, I would not invest in Atari's. I'm going to be uh, that that idiot that has all the buttons and shit around that 
no one saw the you know the stock crash come in two thousand eight. Remember that? Remember the, you know the guy, the bald guy, the money guy. Don't buy, don't buy Atari stock. That's that's recommendation right now. Mad Money, Jim Cramer, Mad Money. You know what I'm talking about? I have no idea. The guy the suspenders? Nope. That no runs around, he's, does the show. Wow. Okay. I'm looking right now. Anyway, so don't buy the Atari stock. Because um, I don't think that I'm I'm shocked that Walmart would make this a pre-order available. But then again, they they can let third-party people on their site anyway. But the fact that GameStop uh, has it going on here that they have a GameStop potential deal, I think, is funny uh, here. But I don't know that if that means they're going to be fulfilling it or just acting as a drop ship sort of thing for uh, Atari directly. No, uh, I, have a feel, I no, I mean I have a feeling it. it's going to be stocked. It's just it's not going to do anything. Okay. And when, you know, I, I hope they've given the GameStop employees a little card, you know, that says, when people ask, where are the games, where are the programs, say, please buy this, they are coming. Show the world your enthusiasm for the Atari VCS. We're going to get a bunch of 58-year-olds walking into GameStop to buy the, the new Atari console. I can't I mean, believe the balls of that. Yeah, wing and a prayer. Have faith in us. It's coming. There's going to be stuff for it. Oh, boy, oh, betcha. The killer app is you out there. You can create your own things. All right. All right. Moving on here. Okay. I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid, Ian. Mm. There's a million toys at Toys R Us that I can play with. So, Toys R Us. Beloved. Toys R Us. Beloved Jersey Company, I remember. Uh, they've come back with some some mall offerings, some mall shops. They've done a couple. Uh, first store opened in New Jersey in Paramus. Um, and then one in Houston opened up here. Uh, it opened the Wednesday before uh, Thanksgiving at the Westfield Garden State Plaza Mall in Paramus. That's a big mall. I've never been there, but New Jersey's like the the the, the, the world's uh, per capita largest, like the most amount of malls per people, I think, is Jersey. I, I think that might still be true. Anyway, um, so they went bankrupt in 2017, as we know, and then sadly by like June 2018, early July, they were all closed, uh, the stores. So they did the ribbon cutting, cutting ceremony, and it's, and it's now, you know, it's a... It's a, it's a, they're mall shops now, Ian. That's, that's the play with Toys R Us. They're going to slowly try to build back up the brand after almost selling off everything and liquidating the, the trademark even in the brand name. They kept it, and then they're trying to bring it back slowly with some some uh, mall, mall stores, which I guess makes sense because mall space is probably the cheapest it's ever been, and obviously it's a lot easier just to sell certain things in a mall versus open up huge, gigantic stores that lay waste in, in the retail world now. Um, and doing that, so um, I, I I guess I, I it's bittersweet just because you know it's, it's glad to see it's still around as a brand, but obviously this is not not what we had as Toys R Us, but it's nice to have it around. So I guess I mean it's better than it not being around. I'm sort of like confused. No, about what to think. I I have no love for a brand. I don't care if well, something I mean, if, says Toys R Us. It doesn't it doesn't give me any fucking jollies. I don't. A I, lot of people does though. I, I well I think I think loving a brand is silly. I, it, it's not okay. the original toy store that you went to, and I'm I'm more I, I'm more pissed off that tons and tons of people lost their jobs, and now surprise, Toys R Us is back. Feel good about Toys R Us. It well, all rings very very hollow and shitty. Okay, versus it just disappearing forever. I mean, there's room for another toy store, but it, 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 it it's preying on people's emotions. And it's a weird emotion to have in the first place. Welcome to welcome to how yes, brands work, Ian. And I think it's gross. It's not like this is a magic new thing. Do you have for an me. Do you have an iPhone? I do. 
Then you're then you like the Apple brand. There no, you go. I, I don't. You do. it, it was easy. It's what Vonnie bought me for Christmas. No, you like the Apple brand. You're in. You're in with the brand now. No, I mean, that's how this works. <laughs> I, I have no love for the Apple brand. Okay, then get, get get an Android phone that costs you know a quarter of the price and does all the same exact stuff. It's yeah. what Vonnie got me okay. for Christmas. I'm just saying that we we haven't. Are, are you brand. upset because I I dared besmirch the name Toys no. R Us that is not the same? I don't as care. It was? I just think it's funny when you think I don't. I'm not in love with brands when they're all around you all the time. No, I'm just saying I'm not going to feel good about a brand coming back. It doesn't do anything for me. Well, there are a lot of people that are upset when it went away. Like Dan did a video about it celebrating with his son. Like I understand this being something. upset that the toy store you knew went away. This is not the toy store you knew coming back. Well, th- yes. I'm, I'm not insulting. Yes. That's why I'm saying I'm struggling with it because if it comes back to something, then it's better than it not existing anymore, I guess. It's better than it not existing. That's what I'm saying. I'd rather You're saying you'd rather a, keep, you want, keep I'd it rather, dead and buried. I'd, I'd rather it was just a different toy store. And I, okay. I just think it's okay. I, I, like I said. I think it rings kind of shitty and hollow when everyone lost their their jobs. Toys R Us is gone forever. It's back in a year, a year and a half. It was gone. It, it, it didn't even have ten, it didn't even have a decade to sit for a minute. They just resurrected its dead ass immediately it's, after it died. It's not a movie franchise. It can come back whenever it wants. There's no waiting period. It has to come back, Ian. That's not how business works. We got we got to wait wait ten years to I'm, come back. Yes, we re- all have brands that we know. We all have brands remote? that we like. I'm not upset with people for being upset that Toys R Us went away. I think that this is very hollow and very cheap. So so you okay? So, so what would you prefer? That it was called something else? Yeah, just have a different toy store. Okay. Or but have no, a, you don't want you don't want the same people running it, or you want someone else to come up with an idea for a toy store? I I feel like if they are bringing it back, they should be rehiring old employees. Well, that's another conversation entirely, and maybe maybe they did. I don't know. Okay. It's too, Anyways, it's, Toys R Us is too, back. It's, Everyone loves Toys R Us. It's two mall stores. They're never opening these gigantic right. uh, warehouse-sized places that, that, that hire 70 people to work in one store. That's not happening again. It just, that's just not happening seems again. kind of gross. Okay. It's I did gone a... for a year. A year. A year and a half. A year and a half, Pat. It could be gone for two years, and my, my statement would be the same. So them trying to resurrect it, you got a problem with. Okay, I didn't expect you to be that strong about it. Them trying to resurrect the, you know. I mean, go for the, it. I'll probably okay. end up there. I just don't. I'm not. Okay. I, I don't feel anything about this. Okay. You don't have to kick, kick shit on people that might feel good I'm about it. I'm not kicking shit on people. I just, I, I, I don't get it. I don't, I you don't, don't get that people are nostalgic for a toy store that a lot, most of their happiest childhood memories are centered around. I feel, I'm saying that's that's where it comes from, though. That's sure. the thought. My thinking is, I feel like the people who actually liked Toys R Us would be kind of upset that they're bringing back Toys R Us as some shell of its former self. But that's but that's, that's the only option for this, though. I mean, it's not. It's never going to be a big box store ever again. Sure, it's I, just I not it. happening. I don't think it's this or nothing. I don't think people are as my my take, and I could be wrong. I don't think people are as happy about this as you think they are. I, I said I'm struggling with it myself, and maybe some people are happy about it, and they're going to show up there. People don't go to – I mean, I guess people still go to malls. They still exist. This mall they go to because it's a giant paramus one. People, I, I know people from New York come into New Jersey because it's lower um, sales tax, and they, uh, so that's why I think the paramus one does very well. It's not close from New York City. Um, but I don't know. I don't go to malls anymore, so I don't know how mall stores do in general. And I, I would, don't know. I would be interested um, in Dan's opinion because when people were talking about – Toys R Us coming back like almost immediately after it closed. He said, I remember in a, a, a Twitter thread, he was very wary of it. Sure. So I, 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 I don't, don't think what, what, what people, were, here's the thing, you know that 
I'll talk about just in terms of the physical makeup. You know that it's going to be more focused on, I guess, seasonal items. I know they're going to sell. You know, here's your. I think they showed pictures. Here's like the Nintendo Switch section. Here's like this this popular doll toy section. Here's that. But because they, they got to make money, obviously, this isn't going to be like KB where KB was a mini Toys R Us. They have as many things they could possibly throw into the store, you know, into like seven or eight aisles. And they had puzzles, they had video games. I don't think this is going to be it. This is going to be like, here's the, the stuff we know is going to sell. You know, here's the stuff that sure. you and know, I, and I you think know for is going to sell. Any modern toy store, I think that that's a smart idea. Call it Toys R Us or, you know, Jim Applecracks Toys and Games. Jim Applecracks <laughs> Toys and Games. Are you nostalgic for that, Ian? That's a name I just pulled out of nowhere. Jim Applecracks uh, Toys and Games. Did you see the Rocky Possum artwork? Yes, yes. Okay, someone does do Jim Applecracks Toys and Games. <laughs> Off but, uh, Route 22 in, in Scott Place, New Jersey. But um, <laughs> Jim Applecraft. No, I, 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 there is. I don't think there's a market or a, a, a space for a toy store as big as Toys R Us used to be. I think it really would have to be a heavily rotated um, toy store. Yes, to the point where we only carry this certain toy when the new line is released for say a couple of weeks. Now, I, I, that. That's going to be tough, too, because it's not like there's stuff being released all the time. I'm sure toys just... I, I don't know uh, toys in this way, but I'm sure just like video games and movies, there are seasons that are heavy on toy releases and seasons that are light on toy releases. I don't know what they would do during those off-seasons. Uh, Mark Callen, a marketing presser at Rutgers Business School, Go Rutgers! Said that Toys R Us is attempting to find a niche. They're creating an experiential-type place, a place where they're inviting their former customers to come and experience toys, which is something that you can't do with, with traditional outlets or online. Um, so yeah, when you saw, when you, did you see any of the pictures from inside, yes. Be, so yeah, you could like play the Switch. Sure, you could never do that in a toy. Toys R Us before video games were cold and grab the ticket and go and go go You've to the. Che- able, you were able to, to che- play games at a Toys R Us for quite some time. Oh, I'm talking about from our childhood. Okay, I'm just saying, cold and clinical. Sure, grab the ticket. You go to the check cashing booth in the back, and they grab it off the shelf. Yeah. Yeah, now in the past twenty years or 15, 15 years, twenty years, it's been more like a, like a like a Target or a Walmart where they have booths. They've got set the up. demo kiosks, but but they're trying to. That's their only play though is to bring people into the shop and play it. Um, you know, you know I don't know how you can do that with toys. Though. I guess you have some toys you Actually, can play. I do remember my Toys R Us had a uh, Turbo Graphics setup that you could play. Oh, they had the kiosk that and you they could, had yeah. the uh, Air Zonk, and I remember uh, my first experience. They had an Air Zonk with, setup. Yep, my first experience with Air Zonk was very, very poor. Was uh, because the controller was broken and you couldn't move up; you could only move down. So I was trying to beat the level very strategically by only moving so you, when I absolutely needed. So we had, we had the laser disc kiosk, but you couldn't play them. You could just oh watch no, we it. could actually play it. You can you can watch it and then. Um, I can't. Yeah, that that was a running video. You couldn't even hit like the game to like with the Super Nintendo ones. You could like hit the game to to demo. Mm. You couldn't do that with the Turbo Graphics. It's just a VHS tape, which I own somewhere. You know, Turbo Gra- S- Spike Volleyball. You know, <laughs> you know that guy's voice. Anyway, all right. Yeah, I'm sorry. I upset you. You know, just, you didn't. I just I I, 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 I wasn't it. about to fall into the oh yay. You didn't. You don't have to do that, E. I'm not inviting you to, to, to jack off Jeffrey the Giraffe here. Like I said, I'm struggling with myself, I, but it, it's either that or it, it, it goes belly up entirely. You know, From a business standpoint, I get it. It's on, Because it's only been gone for a year and a half. Not not in a year, but not quite two years. But because it's only been gone for a year and a half, people still remember the name. They're gonna, there are thousands, if not millions of people out there who are going to see this Toys R Us and they're not going to say, oh, Toys R Us is back. They're going to say, oh, I haven't seen a Toys R Us in a while. 
I think there's a lot of people who aren't going to know why. Why? There you deserve it for this segment. You would do it regardless. Yes, Um, I would. I I think (laughs) it hasn't been gone long enough. I think for most people to realize that it was ever gone. Okay, that's fair enough. So it makes business sense because people Uh, are going to go. That's where I go to buy toys. Seventeen months. It's been Ian. It's been more than a year and a half. Seventeen months. Um, it's a concept store. Jeffrey the Giraffe is walking around. LOL surprise dolls. I don't. I don't know. That's a thing. It's a thing. LOL surprise dolls is on a shelf there. Um, all right. Well, they're going to open more probably next year and see how they do and slowly integrate. I think it's nice to have um, a, a chain of toy stores and malls because what is what does our local malls have for toys? Do they have it? What, what what do they have for toy stores? I think there's a couple independent. There's an independent one, but nothing huge. Nothing huge. Excuse me. Just like a little above mom and pop, basically. Yeah. All right. I wonder, I wonder what they sell. Anyway. All right, moving on. Yeah. Playmobil. Playmobil. All, all independent toy that stores, all small when, toy stores yep, always have right. a hearty, hearty display of Playmobil. When you go, go to like the Reading outlets or those like little, you know, those, those, you know, the, you walk around, there's like stores set up here. What the hell are they called? Like like Peddler's Village. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? The little village. Tons the, the of Playmobil. The toy stores always have Playmobil. Always Probably good margins on those Playmobil. They're easy to work with. <laughs> I love Playmobil, by the way. Playmobil doesn't get any love. It's just Lego. I love Playmobil. Because you don't build as much with Playmobil. They're mostly just like you just put the guy in, put the guy on the horse. Sorry. Put the guy on the horse. All right. Ian. Pat. uh, We just did a segment on the show about uh, Pawn Stars and WADA and the greatest Super Mario Brothers. There was a comment on our video from Reserved Investments, right? Mm -hmm. And then um, I looked up the guy, and he's a guy who... He gives, uh, you know, he gives advice on YouTube about what what what's what you should watch out for, what you should invest in, in collectibles and in other hobby fields. And he himself, uh, I, I believe, uh, you know, he, he collects uh, video game stuff, and I think also some. Uh, uh, I think on his desk he had a Lego set, and then he's got uh, Magic the Gathering cards. Yeah, so he, he dabbles in different stuff, and he's probably about around our age, you know. So he likes that stuff. So um, he did a response video even for us about about the um, WADA and their involvement in that Pawn Star segment. But then he did a different video uh, about... Uh, is, uh, well, it's titled, uh, Do Not Invest in Modern Era Factory Sealed Video Games. Why it is a horrible investment. And we watched this video. And what did you what did you think about this? So what he goes through, I mean, he, he, he says what... And I think... And I, I'm not an investor. I'm not a speculator. I, I have no uh, knowledge yeah. in this. But I Invest think, at your own risk. That's but, our but I feel like um, what he said is uh, a lot of very common sense things. I feel like when people get into collecting, I feel like there's a lot of uh, shedding of common sense um, in in pursuit of building up the market around something. Um, so he talks. He tells a story about how he uh, was buying a copy of Luigi's Mansion. He likes Luigi's Mansion. Um, and when he was getting his copy, um, someone else wanted one too. And they asked the person who had opened the case to grab one for them. And they handed it to him and the person looks at it, obviously checking the seal and then says, okay, now I'd like uh, another copy, please. And they get another copy and the guy mentions, you know, oh, you don't understand. I'm a collector. One's to open, one's to hold on to. So and the employee was like, what? <laughs> So he goes into why that's a particularly silly move. 
um, you know, one of the main reasons for it being silly when you're collecting modern games is the fact that um, lots of people have this magic idea now that they're going to collect these, they're going to buy these sealed games and they're going to be worth something later on. Um, graded, ungraded, whatever. There's this notion that people are going to start doing this. I used to see it back in the day with the Atlas games, games that were released by Atlas. Um, they were uh, on the DS and PS2. They were generally released in smaller numbers. They were uh, RPGs. And people noticed that old Atlas games were becoming worth something, so people would start buying a sealed copy and setting it aside to you know flip it for later. The thing is, is businesses are smart. Businesses want to make their money. They want to make that money. They don't want you to make that money later. So businesses like Atlas, they look at what they're selling and they go, we can sell more of this. So they increase the production numbers of what they're selling. Yeah, because they don't make money off of the, off of the, off of the right. secondhand market. They have no market. interest in keeping it collectible for you. They released no. small numbers because they were releasing games that were, you know, for niche genres you know they knew they couldn't sell a ton of them but as the popularity goes they would make more so as people started buying these games it also coincided with atlas um making more copies so now you have games like persona 4 and persona 3 fes that people were speculating would be worth something in the future that you can still buy for between 20 and 30 bucks today so he talks about how you know the basically that because everyone is doing this, there are, even if there was only 5% of every cop of, of, of the total amount of copies of Luigi's mansion sold were kept sealed. You'd be looking at at least half a million sealed copies. And even if that, I, I would say the numbers probably maybe smaller, but I said, even if you go smaller, even if you say 2%, 200,000 sealed copies of something, what's it really worth? It's a new, it's a new entertainment product. It's it's worth what the retail value is, and that's what he was trying to impart to people. Right. You have to be careful about this stuff, and this goes back. And to, you have to be careful about uh, seeing like a graded sealed copy go for say eighty or hundred because that's part of the speculation market. He it, could grade something and sell it immediately, and maybe get a little bit more for it, but it's not going to be enough to really tell you that this thing is going to be worth anything in the future. But it's either way, he says something that I've said before, uh, in a smarter way. I always said if you really want to invest. You know, put it in a 401k or an IRA or buy stocks because you're more likely to see an actual return on your money than buying new products. Because he said, buy an index stock, which is safe. Get a small return over time, it's safe. Uh, you know, things like that. Uh, because the price to grade games is not cheap. So you, you spend $60 on Luigi's Mansion 3. You go on WADA, I'm looking right now. Uh, for the standard no rush, which now takes up to six months, there's a backlog. It's thirty five dollars for sealed games. I guarantee you that does not include the return shipping or your shipping to there. Let's just say then shipping both ways is uh, for a game it's well packed fifteen dollars. We'll just say it costs you fifteen dollars. Excuse me, fifty dollars total to get a, a game graded. Sure, fair. I spent sixty bucks plus tax, sixty five seventy hundred and twenty dollars invested into a game. I'm hoping to make that back in 10, 20 years. How much do you really think you're going to make back on that game? If you can sell it. Right. Are you going to get a return or are you going to break even? That's what he's trying to say. It's it's a fool's errand. It absolutely is. Unless something is released to such a small quantity and you know the quantity. Like like the you know like Nintendo putting out the Zelda special ones that were only in Nintendo New York, you know, for like there was like 500 made. You right. know they made 500 of them. 
You know that they're not going to be a ton out there. Yes, then maybe you can speculate on that. You can't speculate on new products like this. You just can't. Well, and he also brings up something that's I I think that's important to discuss that uh, Vani talks about a lot. Um, My wife talks about a lot when it comes to comic grading because she works in comics. So people who are out there buying this stuff now, sending it off for grading. Let's say you do VGA, you get an 85 uh, let's say you do uh, WADA and you get like a nine to a nine point four. Those seem to be the you know new condition out of the box on average, like yeah. out of a out, out of a shipping a, box, out yeah. of a shipping box. That's generally what you're going to get when you look at comics, especially when you look at co- like now. Obviously, there's exceptions to what I'm about to say for things that are truly limited or truly hard to find. But um, Compare, you know, the grading of the grading of modern of sealed modern games with, say, uh, the grading and collecting of slabbed comics in the 90s and 2000s. Everyone started to do this. Everyone sends it in. People are sending them directly out of shipping containers or out of boxes. The majority of these are going to be 85 VGA graded. They're going to be 9.0s, 9.2s, 9.4s from WADA. That's not that's not. So what happens is what you start looking for are 9.6s, 9.8s and above. Ones that are a gem mint where you can't see anything wrong at all. Vani has always said it, and it's true, and this is what this this gentleman talked about too. Um, 9.4? Yeah, sure, that's a great condition in terms, like, just objectively. It's a great condition item, but that is trash to collectors. To hardcore collectors, if you want, if you buy a Luigi's Mansion now, you get it graded. You get a 9.4. In 10, 15 years, if there is a market for that sealed game, the price difference between a 9.4 and a 9.6 is going to be huge. Because in a lot of these grading circles, the 9.6 is where it starts to become something desirable. 9.6 or it's and like above. Mint. Right. Mint, mint. 9.4 and below. Sure, it's a 9.4, and that's that's very close to perfect. But to a collector, especially when you're looking at a sea of these games, potentially, or a sea of these graded, you know, uh, Spider-Man number one, you know, sure. uh, uh, McFarlane. McFarlane, yeah. Yeah, no yeah. one wants a 9.4 because there's shitloads of 9.4s out there. Yeah. A collector is going to look for that 9.6, that 9.8, that 10. And that's going to be even harder to come by. And but to put but what is that actually going to be worth? Is it worth you buying a bunch of these and trying to get that elusive nine point eight? No, it's not because you don't even know what it's going to be worth in the future. And plus the cost to grade them. Right, the amount of money you're going to put in for a potential uh, return on a ten point oh graded, say Luigi's Mansion three. I couldn't insa- tell you is insane. I guess there'll be collectors in the future that'll be looking at the seals and be like, oh, this seal is a nine point four. Like with comics, you can see imperfections a lot easier. I think than on a seal on a. On a on a game, I uh, guess I'm, like, I'm not going to say what so, about something I don't know about. I, I imagine I, looking at seals just through work. I mean, you can see ones that are dinged or damaged. Or, but again, but, that's just it's it's we're talking about the condition of cellophane at that point. Sure, and that's what it is. If the, if you think there's going to be people chasing that 20 years now, okay. The the point is that to me that we saw, we saw baseball cards, and we saw what comics we saw mass produced entertainment mediums that people think that. They're the smart ones that they're going to cash in on it by saving it and, and putting it away and spending on it when they don't realize that there's a million other people doing the same thing. Yeah. And the only things that are valuable are the things that are hard to come by that people want, not the things that are mass produced that, that you know, they're, they're still kicking around in warehouses somewhere probably. Right. Or they can turn the printer back on any time and make them. They can still make PS2 games if they freaking want to. Right. You know what I mean? Like. 
a 1.0 uh, action comics is still worth something because there's none of them around. Yeah, I can't I can't walk down the street and find one. They're not laying around somewhere in someone's back back corner of their store. You know, like they like what these video games will always be. So, uh, yeah, he made we're a past lot- new things being collectible thirty years from now. We are way past that point. Once you hit the uh, late eighties, we're past. I think we're past that point. And there was some stuff in the nineties uh, that, that that became it too. But I think uh, with every year that goes on, everyone starts to see some see dollar signs on things. We're past it. People thought they made, made money off the fucking Star Trek Next Generation figures or the McFarlane Spawn figures. They're all worthless. They're worthless. Because everyone bought them thinking, I'm going to be rich 30 years from now buying a toy. Or a Beanie Baby. No. 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 It's not happening. I did the same thing too. I bought some comics in the 90s. I'm going to buy a second Daredevil Fall from Grace. They only made 20,000 of them. Yes, but everyone that bought every 20,000 still has them and no one cares about them. You know, like, whatever they said, they claim they only made like 10,000 of them. They advertise that to get people to buy them. Right. Stupid little 13-year-old Pat didn't know any better. He spent his allowance money on it. I have an allowance when I was 13? I don't fucking know. Well, I couldn't have worked. Anyway. All right. Check out the videos. We cover most of it. But I loved how he said, like, straight up, invest in, like, if you want to invest, invest in an index fund. You'll get a, a, probably a small return. You're not going to get a return on this shit. You just won't. And it doesn't account for inflation either, which people don't talk about. When you buy something to... Whatever. The whole thing's weird. But I can picture... Do you, do you, do you ever see people come in the store to buy an extra copy of something? Well, you don't sell a lot of the newer games anymore. We don't sell a lot of new stuff anymore. But, I mean, when we did... Um, yeah, p- the, like I said, there were people... Like, we'd get in, um, like, PS2 RPGs, and people would buy two of them. And, like, you know, some of those... We get those in sealed every once in a while, and I'm like, oh, huh, I wonder if this is worth something. And it's like, no. You know, there were ones that had a moment, but then another thing that he doesn't really talk about well, no, he does talk about it. We don't, you don't, he talks about it when you go into um, older stuff. We still don't have a great idea of what numbers are out there sure. for certain things. And um, uh, uh, he's talking about people, he's, you know, he's like, if you're, you know, if you're well off or if you're okay monetarily, finding a game that's worth $1,000 isn't the big deal that it is if you're in your 20s uh, and you have less money. So he's like, there's, potentially copies out there that people are holding on to that they're not yes. talking about because they don't care. They don't need to That's talk what, about we it. We always say that about yes, retro games. Well, and you, yeah. uh, you look at uh, Tim Atwood was a good example yes. of that. No one, uh, you know, there was rumors of it and murmurings, but that didn't become known to the public until recently. And that guy's been sitting on his collection forever. Um, it's not the only one. You know, and, and then even with, with, with new stuff, it's even sillier because, you know, there was a, uh, I'll I'll use uh, the example of a game like uh, Shin Megami Gami, uh, Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne for PS2. Um, that game came out. Uh, it was can't spell that. Uh, it was uh, desirable for a while. Um, sealed copies, even lo- loose copies for a while, went for quite a bit of money, and uh, they found a bunch of sealed copies, and they got put back out onto the market. And whether it was another print run or they, they found a bunch more sealed copies, they changed all that. And the price of that game went from being like a $100 game to a game that now sells for about $20. $20 new. Yeah. You can buy. Yep. So you don't know what's sitting out there in a warehouse. Like you said, you don't know when they can turn the printers back on. They so just, there's a difference between a, a you know a first run. Didn't they just do that for a Yakuza game a couple years ago? Yeah, they I, I have one. one. They, they, they re- reprinted they, one that was six, they, seven years old. They reprinted uh, Yakuza 1, 2... I think they reprinted all of them, one, two, three, and four. Um, 
Because I, I bought the first and second ones just because I was like, oh, here's my opportunity to own these games cheap. Yeah. But those were reprints. But sometimes, like I said, I think with the case of Nocturne, it was, they just found more. They just, they just found them. There's just a bunch more that they, they, they sent out. Hey, hey, Billy, we got a, a few boxes of this. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, and one other thing I'm going to say about this, check out his videos. Uh, check out the other one. He did a video directly responding to um, the Pawn Stars segment. He straight out says... He's not mincing words that, you know, since he, he's more into the, you know, antiques and collectibles communities, he he says that there are people in those fields that are looking at what's going on yeah. with these graded games, and they're giving it a very cautious look because of the practices that they see going on with the, you want to say, the inner, uh, everyone knowing each other and basically connected with each other. And so they're... Th- well, like that, I said last week, it's a very, very small world. And people, they know that people are involved with each other. And so that means that the value of things obviously can be inflated and to be very cautious of it. And so that's why he says straight out, uh, reserved investments guy, what's his name? Uh, we'll call him R.I. Uh, he says, definitely don't invest in new games, uh, sealed games. And he says, I've, I'm cautious about the old stuff even at yeah. this point because of, of these uh, non, we'll just say non-standard practices. I feel yeah. like over time things will slowly standardize, but I would not be quick to rush into it. Sure. I mean, you see where things settle out. Yeah, everything is going to be collectible to some. Everything will have worth to someone. I don't think video game collecting is going to be a non-thing. I don't think in twenty years there's just not going to be any people interested in it. But I do think right now there is a bunch of hubbub about it because it benefits the people who want there to be a bunch of yes hubbub about it. They're they're trying to they're trying to inorganically grow it. Right, exactly. And that keeps people that have are experts in other fields that. Might want to get into it, they'll stay away because they know that um, that the numbers don't line up to yeah, how many the, investors the, are in it, how many people are interested in it. I think a lot of very serious investors are probably looking at it and they're like, we'll come back to this in five years. Yeah, we'll, we'll see once this bullshit plays out and we'll see who's really buying this stuff and who really, you know what I mean? And plus, they don't know all the stuff that's even out there yet. Sure. You can't, you can't get into, you can't go and buy a, a bunch of sticker-sealed black box games uh, for a ton of money, when you realize that tons of collectors are sitting on them, they can come on the market at any time. Right. And that's basically what's happening. When those those black box sticker steel games are all on eBay now. It's like $500 for a, a duck hunt that's you know beat up that has a sticker steel on it. It's like, well, there's a lot of them out there, so it doesn't make any sense. All right. All right. So, uh, yeah, check out Reserved Investments. All right. Uh, Ian, uh, eBay came out with an article. We missed it. I think it was earlier. They, they, it's like they're the upcoming holiday wish list guide you want to say that uh and so um uh, ebay is pushing that the n64 is going to be a big seller this holiday season uh because year over year there was a 205 percent increase on n64 consoles between uh last year and this year and doing the pat math that's a four times uh, amount uh of, of sales over the past year so uh four, four times increase so that that's uh that's that's not something to sniff at uh, when you when you see that happen within one year, um, and so when you look at the N sixty four, which came out what ninety six in North America, we are twenty three years in. So when you think about the people that are wanting an N sixty four now, yeah, they're probably when they were kids, they're like thirty now, yeah, or, or or younger if they if they if they had say in the year two thousand or ninety nine, you know, so they're, they're in like their mid to late twenties or thirty or early thirties. So that's a proper. <laughs> Sort of time frame, you know, to get back into it. So, I, I mean, just from what I see 
at the store. The N64 has always been popular, particularly around Christmas. Um, I think I would I would say personally for us, maybe last year and this year, yeah, and, and the year before have all been big years for N64. Three years ago, we start we went in December with um, I think a combined total of fifty. It was like fifty three N64 systems. They were all gone in two weeks. 2016. I think that was about 2016. 20 years later. Whoa. Um, so I'm not surprised. The timing is a little bit different than I would have put it. I probably would have. I, I would have expected to see this about two, three years ago. But um, yeah, around Christmas, people want things that reconnect them with their childhood. Uh, if you grew up playing an N64, that's something that you're going to have a strong feeling towards. That's obviously going to be a hot holiday gift. Uh, it's going to be a big seller. Um, we can't keep them in stock. N64s are something that universally have, uh, base, have pretty much been popular since I started working at Luna. But really in the past five years, um, we... Uh, had none of them at either location over Black Friday weekend uh, within really? within two hours of opening on on Friday. Oh wow! We had I, we only had a couple, but we, at both stores, but we were completely out of on sixty four. I wonder if the swap me if those are worth more than a regular NES and, and Super Nintendo. I'd be curious to see what people are charging for them. Well, it's because I was unless I went to the swap meet, I was surprised. I I saw like complete Super Nintendo for only like forty bucks with all the hookups by like a like a seller that knew it. I was like surprised. That it, it was that cheap. It's interesting to me to, for me to read this because, like, I say I saw the spike two, three years ago. Not your spike. They no, not not cat spike. Not evil spike. Um, they say they're seeing it this year. Meanwhile, uh, and I can't keep them in stock at Luna uh, for seventy. Uh, meanwhile, my friend Eric is telling me that in Arizona they will sit around at pawn shops and they can't sell for like forty. Huh. So it, it to me it's interesting just to see like. You know, I, I think it's you know largely because of the holiday season they're seeing the increase. But it's interesting to see how these things can be popular in one state, not popular in another state. Popular three years prior, and now very popular online. It, it's it's weird for me to see it. I don't know. Well, well, I'm not sure where in Arizona you're talking about. We're, we're in a big city, so maybe it's a population thing as well. Sure, maybe. it could be. Um, uh, yeah, they put out like a PDF sort of like wish list thing the same way. I didn't talk about this during the, during our, our heated Toys R Us discussion, but I got the Amazon play together little like holiday guide, which that is basically is like pathetic. It's basically like you, know, you got the Sears, you get the, the Sears toy catalog. This yeah. is basically the Amazon toy catalog. And and um, so there's like one page on like Nintendo Switch, but the but the eBay one, they put out a PDF and they have Switch next to the N64. As like the holiday sellers, because obviously there's used stuff on eBay. I just think it's interesting that this is our reality now. This was in the mail. They, they, they're sending this out to people to shop on eBay with a catalog with the same sort of like, you know, they have a little key in the bottom with the, with the letters that lining yeah. up. You know, it's the same thing. This is, this, is, this is why Toys R Us is only in a mall, partially, you know, Amazon. But, um, okay. I just think it's interesting. They're selling two a minute, both Switches and N64s on eBay. That was in September. Two a minute they were selling. Jeez. That was from the press release uh, there. Uh, the guy suggests that Nintendo 64 could be a unique gift pick for nostalgic millennials, which actually presents a potential valid reason for its success on the site. Uh, those who had an N64... Are you a millennial if you grew up with the N64? Those yes. who had a, a late, late millennial. Those who had an Nintendo 64 as their first console will likely now be working full-time and dealing with adult life, uh, potentially spending their hard-earned cash on reliving childhood memories. Yep. Uh, 
this very writer actually ended up buying two N64 consoles this year for that very reason from this Nintendo Life article. I think that's cute. That's interesting. But that's where we're at. That's where we were at like 10 years ago. Remember, most people, the, the amount of time between when the Nintendo was popular, the NES was popular, and the N64 was only like six to seven years. It wasn't a huge amount of time in between when the, when the NES was on top of the world and the release of the N64. Not was, a huge I, amount of time. I just have to check this, but Millennial is between 81 and 96. Okay, so... You, you, so, mm, yes, if you grew up playing it on 64, chances... Yeah, you're the last Millennials. Yeah. I always see millennials being because I'm born in eighty, so I'm either the last of Gen X or the earliest millennial. I've seen both. I've seen eighty one, eighty two, or eighty. It's like in, I'm in there, you know. Basically, I'm on the cutting edge. Ian's a millennial for sure, though. <laughs> there. All right, that's interesting. So uh, yeah, well, I guess I got to go through. Actually, I think I sold uh, most of my extra N sixty fours over the years when with my, with my DVD um, kickstars and things like that. I don't think I have a lot of spares left. I probably have like three or four, but I have like the different color. I have the green one, I have the aqua one, you know, things like that. I sold my Pokemon complete in box one. I sold Cal a few years ago. All right, moving on. All right, uh, Ian, we got a Patreon. We do. How do you access the CU Podcast Patreon? You take your fingers and you type in <laughs> patreon.com slash CU Podcast. You go and you look at it, and uh, we offer, well, I, I do a writing about once a week. We put up the full video podcast up there for Patreons. Uh, I do a chat once a month. Um, yeah, so you can take a look at it and decide if you want to shell out some of those uh, smackaroos. Smackaroos? Smackaroos. Jimmy, Jimmy Cracks toy, Toys and... What was it? Jimmy Cracks Toys and Jimmy Games. Jimmy Applecrack, I think. Jimmy Applecrack Toys and Games. Jimmy Applecrack's Toys and Games. Route 22 in Scotch Plains, next to Bowcraft. <laughs> anyway. All right, in third place on the Patreon poll... Are the Marvel movies heading in the right direction, moving on from the A-heroes to lesser-known heroes? Only 7%. Black Widow trailer just came out. It looks interesting. I'm going to see Black Widow. Um, second place at 28%. Ian's uh, pet pet topic. What licensed property would you want adapted to a pinball machine? And in first place, Ian. We, we, this has almost made the podcast before, not as a poll topic. What were the early days of flea markets like for game collecting? Put on your old man hat, straw hat. Get, 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 your, get your corn pipe. Um, so it was interesting. I remember I used to go when I first started buying games for the Nintendo actively. Um, and let's just say I collected from 98 to 2008. Let's use that, I guess, as, uh, as, as the, the time span. I don't remember when I sold off the majority of my collection at too many games. Uh, we can say 15 years, I guess, 98 to 2012. Um, I said it'd be 2013. Anyways, um, Initially, games were not, like, super easy to come by at the flea market. Um, You would have the occasional booth, uh, you know, someone selling, you know, their system that they had there along with their other stuff. Um, But eventually, uh, I would say probably around 2000, um, it became very easy to find games, at least at my local flea market. Uh, The... Nintendo stuff at that point, I guess it would make sense, would have been probably well circulated out of used video game stores at that point in sure. time. Um, so it would need a new home, a new place to be sold and resold, you know. Um, and I think that's when a lot of these people started buying out perhaps lots of big uh, Nintendo games because all of a sudden I started seeing booths that would used to have a couple. Uh, you know, a few games would start having boxes and boxes of them. Uh, namely, my the one guy that I used to buy from all the time, he would just have stacks and stacks of boxes, and I don't know if he was getting them uh, on closeout deals or what, but 
they were all over. And it was still looked at as kind of weird at that point in time to have interest in these games. It's like 99-ish? Uh, 99, yeah. 99, 2000. 98, 99, 2000. That would be like someone having an extreme hard-on for the, I don't know, the Xbox 360 or the PS3 right now. There are lots of people who love playing those systems. You can get a lot of games for cheap, but it's still, you don't see a lot of that. You see a lot, most people who are collecting are either buying for something a little bit older. um, More than two generations back. Yeah. Right now, I think GameCube, PS2, and Xbox are finally becoming kind of coming into their own. Certainly by next year. Um, so, I guess that would have been. I guess that would have been what Nintendo would have been about then, because we would have been PlayStation. We would have been out one out from Super Nintendo. Either way, I don't think video game collecting was really a thing at that point. It just wasn't. It wasn't a, a it hobby was for some people. But, I mean, video game collecting had been a thing, obviously, in the 90s for people that were more on the Atari because that was 20 years ago. But that's uh, the that's yeah. the interesting thing. I used to be able to buy the Nintendo games. Even, like, rare ones would top out at maybe 50 bucks. Yes. Um, you know, at that point in time, there were known rarities. There were known weird things. Yeah, Funko Land had their newsletter. The Panasian games were known to be, you know, at, yep. at that point, they were going for maybe 150 200 If you if could, could find, find them one. somewhere, yeah. If you could find them. Um, you know, a copy of Stadium Events at that point was about... was was. You know, three fifty to five fifty. Um, you know, it was still worth something back then. It was known to be very rare, but it. You know, was we're it not that ta- much in the late nineties. I would say probably three fifty at least. It, it was, was a couple. It was a few was hundred. Land, I think you could still order it for like, for like a buck if you could find it, or five bucks. Well, that's the thing. No one could. Yeah. Um. So I, I know it was worth a few hundred at the very least. Uh. But what was interesting about that point in time was. You know, it was kind of cautionary too, because when I finally got there and was starting to buy this stuff, that's when the retailers that were selling games, the people at the flea market, were starting to put their Atari stuff out for next to nothing. And it took a lot less time, I guess, but you could see the value of Atari stuff value. going from something that used to be worth something to quickly becoming something that they just want to get rid of. Um, but yeah, I mean that that so and then as what do you okay? I'm sorry, cut you off. At your height, what do you think? Like, did you ever see like a centipede cart for like seven, eight bucks, nine bucks? Uh, I don't know that I ever saw centipede at that. Well, I mean, it's like a common Atari title that I I, I I I would see some people trying to get five bucks for some common Atari cartridges, gotcha. five six bucks. Um, but very quickly that stuff became universally three bucks we don't want to price it here's you know here's a bin for a dollar here take all of this for you know it happened pretty quickly yeah so i mean that's mostly what i remember by the time that you know collecting of this stuff really became popular like you say in 2006 what 2007 i would say 2006 um i had already more or less fallen off i still bought games here and there but i i had stopped adding to my collection more or less by that point in time okay um so I, I had about three or four flea markets I would go to in New Jersey. Um, Meadowlands, which was decent. English Town, which was hit or miss because of the guy that with the store inside would always buy everything up at like 6 a.m. Um, the one in South Jersey, Jesus Christ. Uh, God. The one the one down, uh, gee, I, I don't remember the names of these anymore. Uh, that one, and then there was a couple other ones I go to uh, here and there. Uh, the one in Piscataway I went to. That was That was a nice one. Uh, on basically on like a dirt uh, little league field next to the firehouse, and those are the ones I go to. I go to like four or five. I would go to at least one a week, sometimes two or three. Sometimes you hit down the, the local one, and then you go to like uh, English Town just for fun. 
you know, and that's what you do. You make it a day. You go to two of them. You know, it's like five hours of flea marketing fun. So, um, I guess after I started collecting again, like '98, uh, buying things here on eBay, I started going to flea markets, and then at the flea markets, you didn't at least in '98. You, I don't think you had the guys yet, at least locally. Uh, you didn't have eBay sellers looking for for sure. That didn't happen until the mid two thousands. That did not happen at all until like I want to say two thousand three or four. People started to really start doing the eBay thing and realize this stuff had some value to people. Um, but it was it was like yeah, you can go to English Town and I think I, I probably talked about it before. You can someone had a you know a bag of you know twenty NES games, twenty five NES games, and it was twenty bucks. That you know it's like a dollar each. Just, just buy them all. At that point, it's like, just buy them all because you're losing money, not just taking them all. And don't even care if you pick up doubles. I mean, that, that's what happened. That was still in the f- phase where I probably had 350 games or so in like the year 2000, something like that. So I started to buy doubles even not knowing I, I didn't have the list yet. I didn't carry I, I put that a list. This is before uh, smartphones and having sure. apps. So I was just, just buy it all because it's cheap. And then maybe you get lucky and you find something that's worth ten bucks. Didn't get any rare ones that way, that's for sure, because most people did not have games like that. They'd have, the, the, you know, Ghostbusters and have like TNC and things like that. Um, and then, you know, so for me it was more like you would buy a bunch of games, and it got to the point where it was just hard to find ones that weren't common at a flea market. You'd still see the same fifty to seventy games. We'll just say fifty games sure. that most kids had uh, there. You know, you know, like you'll still see a Kid Icarus, and you'll see maybe you'll see a Donkey Kong. It's like, whoa, it's a Donkey Kong. It's a little bit more in common uh, there, and and that's how that's how it was. Um, but then it got to the point a little bit later where, like I said, you started seeing more people you knew that were buying for eBay, and then the stores that the sellers there that would buy everything before, and then it got tougher. But that wasn't until early two thousands. That was like, like I say, like two thousand two or three and four. It's when it started to get harder to find stuff because there was more competition there. Uh, indoor flea markets, I think, are a little bit different because those are more like stores. The indoor flea markets. Um, there was the, the one on Route Seven. Is it Route Seventeen off of Route One, where they had the Route? Is it Route Seventeen flea market where there was an indoor seller and he had hundreds of games. Probably like you had a guy. Probably the same thing. And the stuff was priced. I mean, it was still kind of based off eBay, but it was a little bit looser because we're like it's like two thousand four, two thousand three. Trying to trying to remember like. You know, it was it was probably like you'd be shocked if a game was priced at like ten dollars. You know, you'd be like, "Oh, it's that's kind of expensive for a game." Uh, you know, but most of it was like two or three dollars each still for sure. a game, three bucks each, or maybe like maybe four for ten, if I remember correctly. But even at that point, in time, I wasn't trying to get every single game. It was just get stuff that's interesting or cheap that's interesting. Right at that at that point in time, um, so yeah, that's how it was. It was it was you know less competition, cheaper games. Um, there was a lot of stuff that was out there, even though probably everything wasn't because it's still in that phase where not everyone's aware that stuff is valuable. So there's still stuff that are still in people's closets. Nowadays, almost n- probably none of the NES, everyone knows that, you know, this stuff is probably worth money. So it's probably less and less this stuff comes out, you know, less, less and less of the, you know, stadium events, Yahoo auction stories that you see written up about, you know, Oh, I have a stadium events. I'm sure it can happen. I'm sure it still does. Just I think a stadium events was founded at a state sale. Was that two, three years ago, three years ago was found, but it's, 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 it's less and less as years go by, obviously, because people get rid of their stuff or, or sell it or throw it out, if that makes sense. So I wonder, wonder how different wonder, wonder my experiences were, were from yours at the, at the, at the flea markets. Um, probably somewhat similar, I guess. You know, did you buy lots of games for like 20 bucks? 
Do you see that? Yeah. I mean, that still happened when I first moved here in 2009 and 10. I still got some weird deals like that where it's all garbage bag with like an NES and an N64 and like 15 N64 games and a bunch of NES games for like 50 bucks. A $20 bill is the magic ticket. That was it? Yeah. Yeah. Flash a 20 at someone who's got a bag or a box of stuff that they don't want and it's yours. That's how it was back Up until then. smartphones in 2012 when they started to get more popular. 2013, that's the cutoff. That was the magical cutoff when swap meets started being a little bit more work. And that's why, you know, like, uh, I was obsessed. I, I went every Saturday and Sunday when it came to, to San Diego for, like, the first four years almost. Not not every Saturday and Sunday, but there was a lot. You know, I was calling Ian, finding the stuff, telling him the stuff I was finding, asking if he wanted stuff. Every fucking week I was calling you up. Yep, it was crazy. And you weren't telling me to screw off because that's when you were nicer to me. <laughs> you had more patience then. All right, well, thanks for the Patreon question. Patreon.com slash podcast. We got a Q&A. Yep, we've got one question one. for you. This is from uh, Unnecessary Fan. The completely unnecessary fan. Is this a fucking plant? No, it's not, Ian. All right. Well, the unnecessary fan would like to it's know... plant. What was it like working with James Rolfe again for the combat video? Are there any other YouTubers you'd like to collaborate with or those you'd avoid? I think that's a nice question. Those I'd like to avoid, yeah. I want to start a bunch of beef with a bunch of YouTubers. When it comes to collaborations, I think what, what some creators not ignore but don't care about is do styles actually mesh together to work together? You know, there's some people that just don't work well together because they have different styles of videos. It doesn't mean that they both don't do good content, either one, but they don't work well together. I work well with James because I think we have sort of similar sense of humor. Um, but the story about this combat video which just came out, Combat, uh, that's on, on YouTube, was um, I had written a much uh, more intensive script idea that me and James have been thinking about for a few years that... Uh, this is before Too Many Games 2018. So we shot that right after Too Many Games 2018. A year and a half ago, Ian, just like Toys R Us, going mm-hmm. out of business. About the same as that time, actually. Um, it was. Um, and so I had this idea that was too grandiose. And whenever I see James, like once a year, James is nice enough to say, like, like this year I shot the rental for you for Predator. Um, and then another one I, I won't say what I shot for uh, yet. And so he's nice enough to put aside a, a day to do it. So I got to write something we can shoot in a day in like six hours. Um, and so my idea was not something you can shoot in six hours would have taken like two or three days probably. So I said, I can't waste his time. He's willing to do a video with me. He lets me write for the nerd character. I'm lucky enough to be able to do that. He allows me to do that. So, uh, literally, uh, the Sunday night at my parents after too many games and that Monday, um, part of that Monday, I wrote the script, uh, to this comment video in about a day and, um, it came out well enough and we shot it. Uh, and, and it's interesting because um, I'm not sure what it was. I, th- I think I think mainly James wanted to do it because it was a goofy throwaway line from the original NWC video, Combat. Mm-hmm. You remember that video? Yes. So it was originally an ad lib thing we sort of came up with that it's it's expanded into its own thing and said let let's put a let's put an end cap on the whole combat thing by doing a whole dumb video about it, and that's basically what happened. And I have to thank uh, Yoshi Vu for doing the awesome effects on that video just because those are Hollywood-level effects. You, you just saw it. Oh, yeah. Major it, Combat is awesome. Major Combat's adorable. We can, we can sell figures of them probably one <laughs> too. Unless Atari in France comes after us. Um, and um, it came out... It just came out... It, it came out better than I thought it would just because um, how quickly we cobbled together the story and we shot it and then... It sort of evolved after the fact in post-production because 
Um, I, I wrote Major Combat a different way at first, a little more by the book. And I said, well, don't, why don't I make him a little wacky little guy? And it sort of works better, I think. And originally, Major Combat was supposed to be a, a giant robot. I said, it doesn't make any sense. Combat's a little guy. So he'd be a cute little, little right. guy, little Muppet-looking uh, robot. And so that's how it came out. So uh, I'm, glad that, I'm glad that the um, people are enjoying it and the comments are like, this is great. This isn't a self filating topic, believe it or not. This is a reality topic about the fact that um, this video, for this to video, in my mind, to do well versus the time and effort, and we'll just say mock money that went into it, this video has to do a million views at least for it to be, let's say, a viable YouTube content video. Because um, James wasn't paid to work on it. Um, he did it as a favor for me. Um, obviously I'm not paid to work, but I'm the creator. I'm not happy, but the amount of work that Yoshi did for this video, if, if he asked for cash to, to do, it would have been thousands of dollars probably. Sure. It would have been a couple, we'll just say a couple grand from that of work he did for the, for the, not just the robot animations, but the, the, the com balls and the hair and glasses shot, which is, is incredible, um, to do that work. And so when you think about high quality, well-produced content, YouTube's just not, unfortunately, it's not a platform where it's viable for most people anymore. It's not. Um, and it's sort of not bittersweet, but when you, when I do a video like this that was in the works for so long, partially because Yoshi had to have time to work on this CG, if he's, for God's sake, he's working on freaking Star Wars and he's got to work on a dumb YouTube project on the side for me because I'm his, cause as, as a favor because I'm his friend. And I was thinking about, like, if I wanted to do something like this regularly or, or write something where people had input more than just me doing myself. I couldn't do, I can't do it on YouTube. It just doesn't make any sense. It, the numbers don't add up. Right. It just doesn't. And, and, and I hope people uh, appreciate, um, you know, the fact that, that like I'm, I marvel that these AVGN videos still go on 13 years later and they're more and more involved. Obviously he has people helping them uh, screenway, but most YouTube's not for this content anymore. It hasn't been for years. Right. It's for quick, throw it up as fast as you can content. So it's depressing that that's the reality, but it is. Um, you can say it's, if you know, for content like that, uh, you do a Kickstarter for it to do videos like that. So people actually get paid for their hard work. So like, because like video game years was a, was a cold reality check for a lot of us. Because the amount of effort that went into it and money and people were doing things on the cheap were like, Oh, this is a you know this is a, a good this is a great show. This could be we could potentially could do something like this on t- and real TV, and then it goes on YouTube and then it gets some views, but not enough to support the time, money, and effort that went into it. And it's it just it is what it is. But it's done well on Amazon Prime, and I think that's what the future I think will be for some YouTubers. Like if I was going to do it at Path to Anius Punk actual series, like six to eight episodes, I think I'd have to look other venues, whether it was Kickstarter or just put it on Amazon Prime. Or just try to sell Blu-rays of it. Uh, if I say if, if it was like you know, I took two months to do six to eight episodes, but you can't make you can't make the time money back on YouTube. You just can't, right? And it's depressing. I mean, you're not in this world, but you know, um, it's just hard to do. Like e- even people that are doing great content, like uh, like uh, Norm, um, he, you know, he has a, a healthy patron to help him support those videos. Sure, the views on YouTube alone don't support. It just can't, right? I mean that's really that's really what, what what I want to talk about. So I'm glad everyone likes the video. Go and watch it. Ian didn't 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 hate it. I watched it. I put in a little reference for you. Yeah, 
What, Mappy Land? Yeah. Yeah, I saw. So you get a little chuckle about that? Yes, I did. <laughs> Maybe it'll be the Mappy Land uh, in the future. There. So yeah, I so NES Punk stuff will still uh, be around here and there, but I really think that yeah, I think the way the way YouTube works nowadays, where you know I'm, I'm not I'm not you know complaining about the Last Jedi again. Um, those are videos that are easy to do and don't require other people to really help you usually, and you can get them out. You can rant about politics and get it out easily. You can rant about how Capcom screwed up. You can rant about SJWs ruining the world, and that's that can get views easily and it's easy to produce. But that's not content that uh, I want to do, obviously, and that's not worthwhile content. I think in the long run, for people to want to watch and be around, you know. So, but that's what YouTube likes. So, what are you going to do? You find the other platform. It's not like it's not create something else to match a platform. You find the audience that likes your stuff. That's my philosophy, you know. And hopefully, that that'll continue in the future. So, all right. Well, I'm off to go get blood drawn. Okay, that's sexy as hell, Ian. Yeah. Uh, then you go into J- Jimmy Crack Corns. What is it? <laughs> Jimmy Crack. Jimmy Apple Cracks. Jimmy Apple Cracks. Jimmy Apple Cracks Toys and Games Emporium. Uh, that's funny. We'll, we'll, we'll do a little. Uh, we'll do a little skit of that. <laughs> so, um, before we leave, I do want to say one thing that's pretty important. Uh, I, I really want people to take this a bit more seriously um, than they may uh, be taking it now. But if anyone's seen Mario's fucking keys, let the guy know where they are. All right? Just keep him... I just had him! Karen, I just had him! Keep him posted. Uh, Give him a heads up if you find him. He's got to walk the dog. He's got to walk the dog? He's got to drive drive the supermarket. Something like that. You can get out of your house if you have keys. You just can't lock the door, I guess. All right. All right. That's Ian Ferguson. I'm Pat Contry. We will see you uh, next week with more holiday fun.